welcome to Sisters Inc., our podcast for and about women entrepreneurs, brought to you by Black Enterprise. I'm your host, Alisa Gums. Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America. And on every episode of Sisters Inc., we'll sit down with one successful CEO and share how she slays the challenges of being a Black woman in business. Today's episode is all about following your calling. We're chatting with Sheree Robinson, the founder and CEO of Tastemakers Africa, who's built a successful travel tech business out of her long-standing love of all things Africa. Welcome to Sisters Inc., Sheree, and thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you for having me. So ever since you were young, you felt a pull to Africa. How did that start? I think about this a lot. Um, and I think it started in ways big and small. Um, some of them were very much related to my family. Like my grandmother um, was very much into the church and church had a lot of like Africa, like we wore African garb is what we would called it then um, to church. Um, I spent some time in the AME Zion church most of my childhood. And it's called the African Methodist Episcopal Zion church. And so it was super Afrocentric. So a lot of it came through my grandmother, through church. And then on top of it, I was always like a history person. And so I was always like reading everything about, you know, African civilizations. And so it was, I was sort of surrounded by it and thus very curious. Um, but I think beyond sort of the tangible things I can note, there was also just a knowing like I just knew there was never a, an alternative thing I was supposed to do. It was always this for as long as I can remember. So you didn't set out to be an entrepreneur though, um, but you, you no. did build a career intentionally that would get you closer um, to Africa. And then you sort of found that the business started growing organically. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So um, at that time, the only way when I graduated college, which was 2005, um, the only obvious way for me to sort of get to Africa and be there consistently was to go into international development work. And so that's what I did. I studied biology. I started looking at all these international organizations. And it was funny, I was looking through my Gmail the other day, the number of job applications I submitted for any job that would have me on the African continent, like hundreds, like hundreds and hundreds. Like I was relentless. And it's so funny. I ended up finally getting there. Well, the first time I went was in 2010. I went to Sierra Leone because I was working for CARE. And then what ended up having me on the continent all the time was a job I took that made me move to Mexico City. And it was like, I was there, but like, it was a, it, the, the, the organization had a global mandate. And so most of that was in Africa, which was hilarious. So I moved to Mexico to get closer to Africa. Um, and that was what I did and, and, and thought I would continue my career that way. But when I got to the continent and spent a significant amount of time there, um, I realized that sort of the poverty narrative that you're required to spend a lot of time with when you are working in international development and humanitarian work um, wasn't the one I wanted to share or was called to share and sort of facilitate. And so I didn't really see anybody doing sort of progressive 
cultural work. I didn't really, not in a way that was tangible for people. And that's where Tastemakers Africa and sort of my path to entrepreneurship um, focused on the continent really began, like having that disconnect between the work I was doing and what I felt called to do as it related to Africa. But you also became like the go-to person for everyone you knew because you were there all the time. So when people wanted to know what was going on, where they should go, what they must see and eat, they called up Shrey. No, literally, like in Facebook groups, in WhatsApp. And part of it was like, well, I can't just be spending my life responding to these messages. Like, this is not it. I need to find a place where these things can go so people aren't calling me. <laughs> so once you realized that, you know, you were already the person, you know, setting it up for everyone else, but that you could make a business out of it, how did you transition? Like, I think a lot of people are doing something already as a hobby or a passion or organically, they've become the expert on something, but they have no idea how to turn that into like a formal business. Yeah, um, it was interesting. It took a few uh, elements. I definitely wasn't the person that was like, I'm gonna take a leap and took it. That was not my life. I was decidedly about this nine to five life. Um, even though my job wasn't really nine to five, but that's an aside. So two things happened. One, my friend Stephanie O'Connor um, was a photographer in South Africa. And she just kept being like, I get that you like this science thing, but that this, come on, like, what are you doing? And so she, she would just like keep asking me, like, you don't see like the dissonance here. And so that was one factor. And then the other factor is I got fired from a job, not once, but twice. So it was like, I was super resistant to like pursuing entrepreneurship. And, but at the same time, I was kind of like dabbling in it on the side and I'm not a good multitasker. I don't know how to do anything. Like I'm zero or 100, nothing in between. Like that's just how I am in my life. And so I remember my boss was like, it doesn't really seem like you're focused here or you don't want to be here. And I just didn't have another answer because I really wanted to do this other thing. And um, that just kept happening. It happened twice, like a year to the day. So the first time my boss said that, and I was like, you're right. And I just like walked out and basically got a termination notice the next day. And then it happened again um, a year later where I was working for a startup because I had begun to think I wanted to start something. So I was like, let me go work for a startup and like learn how this goes. Um, and, and they um, got a, a big amount of VC funding and um, did a reshuffle. And because they knew I was sort of one foot in, one foot out, they were like, yeah, you're going to get laid off. We'll just help you along. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess. So for some reason after that, I was like, you know what? I have never had work issues. I've always had like great jobs. I never interviewed for a job that I didn't get. Like I was always crushing it career-wise. So like to just be getting fired, like I was like, what this, okay, I'm not supposed to do this. So that was like my signal that I was supposed to like pursue entrepreneurship full time. I've talked to a lot of accidental entrepreneurs, but I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who was like a resistant entrepreneur before. Like entrepreneur, what? Let's start a thing. No, I like these benefits. Like, <laughs> and these titles and these big names I get to say. I like that. <laughs> I'm not trying to start a business. 
So once you decided or the universe helped push you in the direction that you needed to be doing this, what, what was the actual transition for you? Like, what were the steps that you put into place? Like, what was the startup process like? Um, that's really interesting. It, it's, I was always sort of nudging um, for a while. Like, I remember my friend Kwame sent me um, this application, startup competition application for something called She Leads Africa, which is now huge now. But they um, were having a startup competition. And I was like just beginning to form tastemakers. And I applied, not really thinking much about it, ended up becoming a finalist flew to Lagos, Nigeria. And I remember on the plane, I was praying. And I was like, if I win first place, I'm never going to not do this. Like until it's like, no way out ever. Like I'm going to, because this is so on this whole turn of events is unlikely. And so I ended up winning that competition, won $10,000 um, and sort of continued this process of like, building a thing, putting it out there. Um, I have, as an archetype, I can be a bit of a mad scientist in the way I work, which is good and bad. Cause I kind of like go into my head and like marinate and conjure and then like, boom, something comes out. I'm trying to get out of that now. It doesn't help you as a later stage entrepreneur, but that's another podcast. Um, but anyway, um, it came through speaking out loud what I wanted. And I think that's really important because a lot of people, when they start stuff, they think they have to figure out everything and they think that like all the parts are going to come from them. And for me, it was, you know, going to events, talking about what I was trying to do. I would meet an advisor here or a journalist there. It was never intentional in terms of like me being like, I know I'm going to meet this person or I want to meet that person or this is the person that it wasn't really like that. Um, it was often me doing something, putting it out there it resonating with someone, that person introducing me to someone and it kind of worked like that. And I also realized that like the version of it that I wanted it to be was likely not going to be the version I started with. And so when I started, we were just doing group trips and Instagram posts, but I knew I wanted to build a technology company, but I knew to start because I didn't know how to write a line of code. I needed to do something to sort of give people the value that I knew they needed. I knew people needed these transformative, authentic, connected experiences in Africa. I knew that I wanted to build a network of African artists and musicians and DJs and you name it to make this platform possible. And I needed to put money in their pockets first for them to trust me. And so like when I, what I started with, I knew wasn't what I was gonna end up with, but it was like, you gotta do something for people to see it happening. And, and I just continued to do that for a long time. So the mad scientist went back into the lab and came out with a bunch of other formulas. Yep, pretty much, pretty much. And people helped along the way. Like so many people have alley-ooped or done an introduction or partnered with me on a thing before I was proven, to be honest. Um, and all of those things were really, really helpful in sort of forming, forming the thing in the end. How is it that you knew or why, I guess, um, that you wanted to build a technology company? Um, there are a couple things. I think one, I am a biologist by training. And so my brain works in, like, I'm creative, but I also have very, like, a, a very scientist brain. So, like, I like problem solving. I like that formula 
So as much as I thought like writing a blog or doing something with images or storytelling is second nature to me, I always want to sort of take things like another step in the, in the way I, I frame things. So the part of it was just the way I am. Um, the other part of it was I thought that as much as what I was building was a travel technology company, I thought I was building a vehicle for transformation for Black people. And so for me, it was like my core belief, my theory of change is that by bettering the relationship that Black people have with Africa, it will better our relationship with ourselves. And I just, I just felt like that is the truth. And so I knew that I had to figure out a way to share that truth and experience with millions of people if I wanted to have a societal shift that came from something I did. And what I knew about technology was that technology is about scale. And so that's really what it, what it was about. It was like, what is going to be the way for me to build this thing that will allow millions of people to benefit from it? So when you talk about like knowing your truth and, and this episode, of course, is all about following your calling. It makes me think about your journey um, in fundraising, because so many times when I talk to entrepreneurs, they say that uh, people really underestimate the value of your story of their own story when they're going out um, pitching and trying to raise money. So yeah. um, how did you leverage the fact that this is your calling or how did it help you as you were trying to, to raise capital? It's interesting because at first I didn't. At first I was like reading the books, going to the seminars, going to the panels, you know, trying to put my thing in the 10, 10 slide deck and it worked a little bit, but it, but the thing didn't work until I was willing to walk into a room and say, this is what, I, what I've done. This is why I'm doing it. This is who I am. And this is why I'm the person you should give this money. And all of my why was about like, this is not an uh, extra thing for me. This is what I was put on earth to do. And when I was able to share that conviction, whether it was black investors, white investors, it didn't matter. The people who saw it, saw it. And even now in a post-COVID world where travel is like, who knows what's happening, our investors still back me because they, they, they share that I was put here to do this. I love that you brought up COVID, which um, you know, brings me to my last question that of course the pandemic hit um, earlier this year, shut down travel, terrifying thing for a travel tech company. But again, going back to the basics of your belief in the importance of our connection with Africa is a big part of what helped you pivot um, during this time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we, we ended up starting something called The Thread, um, which began just as a conversation series. And I knew really that even travel to the event, the, the thought that's to form in our head at, at, a, at a mass level needed to be um, connected and, and people needed a place to go to have the station with one another. And I was like, we are still the best platform for you to do this, whether we're organized for you or not. And I am probably still the best person to facilitate these conversations in meaningful dynamic ways. And so we did that and then 
just a couple months ago, ended up saying, we're going to actually even further and launch a membership so that people can do this on the daily. And so that's been really interesting to build and discover and consider um, as COVID still is the dominant thing in our lives. So, so, so it did still come from knowing that like, this is my job, whether it's travel or conversations or music or whatever, like my job on earth, you know, my purpose is to be a bridge in, in, in a very real way. And so we keep at it. Well, thank you so much, Sheree, for sharing your small business success story. Everyone out there, please check them out on tastemakersafrica.com. And you can also follow them on social at Tastemakers Africa on Facebook and T-S-T-M-K-R-S, which is Tastemakers with no vowels, Africa on Instagram. Check out the podcast channel on blackenterprise.com to find Sisters Inc. and other podcasts from Black Enterprise editors, writers, and experts. Be sure to subscribe to Sisters Inc. on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or YouTube. And if you like what you hear, show your love by leaving us a five-star review or put a sister on by spreading the word. This is Elisa Gums with Sisters Inc. for Black Enterprise. Thank you for listening. <laughs>